Welcome back, everybody. John Malanka with United Patients Group. Be informed and be well. I'm going to start off here. Medical cannabis is far more effective at treating symptoms of fibromyalgia than any of the three prescription drugs approved by the FDA to treat this disorder. This is one of the surprise findings in an online survey of over 1,300 fibromyalgia patients conducted by the National Pain Foundation and National Pain Report. The FDA has approved only three drugs, Cymbalta, Lyrica, and Savella, for the treatment of fibromyalgia, although they generate billions of dollars in annual sales for Pfizer, Eli Lilly, Forest Laboratory, and other drug makers, most who have tried the medications say they do not work. The National Institutes of Health estimates that 5 million Americans suffer from fibromyalgia, a poorly understood disorder characterized by deep tissue pain, fatigue, headaches, as well as depression and lack of sleep. There is no known cure of this disorder and is difficult to treat. Fibromyalgia is devastating for those who must live in its grip. There is much we do not understand. We need to innovate out-of-the-box solutions that change the face of this disease, says Dan Bennett, MD, an interventional spine and pain sur uh, surgical physician in Denver, Colorado, who's chairman of the National Pain Foundation. Those are some pretty incredible findings and stats. And so my next guest is... Actually, a dear friend. We've worked together for quite some time. Uh, her name is Beth Dost. Hi, Beth. Hi, John. And I'm going to read Hi. your impre impressive uh, uh, bio now, too. So uh, Beth Dost, also known as Elizabeth Dost, RN, is a senior healthcare consultant who, has, uh, who was the first nurse to stand for the humanitarian use of medical cannabis in Massachusetts in 2012. She's the clinical director of the Massachusetts Patients Advocacy Alliance, MPAA. Beth advocates publicly for those who suffer and have been marginalized. She's been fully featured locally and on numerous national broadcast mediums. She continues her advocacy work, focusing both on cannabis therapeutics and raising awareness of the abandonment of pain patients who rely on prescribed opioids along with the persecution of the doctors who care for them. A chronic pain patient since 2000, Beth joined approximately 50 million Americans who chronically suffer and since 2014 has suffered intractable pain, which also makes her one of only about 17 million chronic pain sufferers. Uh, her experiences of being stigmatized and decriminalized against it in her quest for peace has galvanized her, uh, her resolve to help, and she speaks openly about the state of suffering in America. Elizabeth Doss was the award of Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year in Healthcare and is a member of their elite alumni group. So, whew, tongue twister, great having you, Beth. How are you doing today? Good, how are you doing, John? I'm doing well. We've done yeah. we, we've done a lot together. Um, yeah. We've covered some ground back and forth. I'm I'm yeah. West Coast, you're East Coast. We've had yeah. some great stories, great journeys, uh, yeah. and great great adventures. I should say for for yeah. another another show. Um, let's talk about what is fibromyalgia first off, and what are your thoughts about those studies? Um, that study that I was reading actually was a, a bit outdated a few years ago, but it it just shows that nothing really has changed much. In the in, in in the world of of treating fibromyalgia with the pharmaceutical drugs, uh, and where we are today, and also I wanted to share in that study is that I believe um, sixty percent up to actually sixty 
60 to 68% out of those three different pharmaceutical drugs. Um, not only were they not having success with those pharmaceutical drugs, 60 to 68% were having success with cannabis uh, to stop that pain. So can you talk about that? You know, what, what is fibromyalgia? And, uh, and if you can uh, share why you become a pain patient, why you specialize in pain. You were also in hospice for years. So we've done a lot of, lot of different stories on hospice. We yeah. recently did one uh, with you and Claudia on pain yes. uh, and where those laws are, where they are today um, yeah. with doctors included, pharmacists included, patients, as well as insurance companies. And so um, have at it. Well, where to start? Do, start do at the beginning. You know, Kurt always says, where do I start? start where do I start? Where do you want me to start? start? So. Well, we can address... Why don't we address some of the observations made by that admittedly older study, yet you're accurate when you're saying, I don't think much has happened in the way of fibromyalgia care. In fact, in some instances, I think we've gone backwards in the, in, well, we've gone hugely backwards in the treatment of pain. So uh, fibromyalgia is about, there's about 5 million people that suffer from fibromyalgia, and it is listed as somewhat of a rare disease. And by rare, I think you hear a lot of people talking about fibromyalgia or thinking that they have fibromyalgia, but actually it's a pretty narrow diagnosis. And um, so I think it, a lot of chronic pain gets lumped into that fibromyalgia group. But to really have fibromyalgia, they estimate about 5 million people have it in the United States, which is a small number, really. Well, it's, let's, let's talk about its invisible uh, yes. disease. Yes. I've had doctors on the show that lack of sleep, stress, and pain, it's almost like a domino effect. And correct me if I'm wrong, that you treat this, the sleep, and it's a domino effect of, of, of what else had ha happened. I mean, a lot of patients will, you know, call this over the years and say, I have stress, anxiety, depression, and um, what do I do? I'd like to treat them all. And, you know, a lot of times it's best, let's just treat one and see if you can have the domino effect when you, I mean, when we all have lack of sleep and we've all experienced that, you know, you're kind of whacked out for the next day or two and it's like, you're not yourself. Uh, you, maybe you have a meeting in the morning, you're stressed out for that. That's why you didn't sleep. And next thing you know, you know, anxiety comes on. And so I think hitting that with sleep. And so um, one doctor, Dr. Behrman, uh, who's been on the show and, and, and I know you know him as well. He, when he treats, he specializes in pain patients and he's treated a lot of patients uh, going through this, but he's goes and tries to eliminate what they're lacking is the insomnia. So he's able to do that. And then, and a lot of times, um, uh, uh, going after the sleep, he's finding that it's helping a lot of pain patients. Do you agree with that? I do. Um, I do. I think that sleep is essential to overall wellness and health. And I think that sleep is really important. Um, feeling uh, in order to feel well, I think it's important. And I think as far as also aging and aging populations, if you notice, and I noticed in my career that as patients get older, a lot of times their sleep needs either are less or they're sleeping more erratically. And then I think that that also um, enhances or promotes a cognitive decline, lack of sleep. And so I think sleep is probably one of the basic elements that we need in order to maintain a, um, a healthful or uh, at least feeling better. You know, most people that 
don't feel well, if you ask them how well they sleep, a lot of them will say they don't sleep well. So we, you know, we have a whole uh, group of people that you know, use CPAP in order to afford it because they have sleep apnea. So there's a whole post, and, and I think originally, way back when, um, and I still arguably it's a concern that fibromyalgia does originate from a sleep disorder. So probably everyone that has fibromyalgia also has a sleep disorder. And the sleep disorder is that you don't get into a stage four REM uh, restorative sleep. So you may feel, if you're lucky enough to sleep six, seven hours, you might feel like you've got a lot of sleep, but you're not waking up rested and you're not waking up. Uh, most people, and, uh, and including me, most people wake up feeling wrecked when they, uh, that's the worst part of the day for me is the mornings. So I think that, yes, sleep is important. And it's important, and, it, and it's a hallmark of fibromyalgia that there's a sleep disturbance within that cascade of what is fibromyalgia. And I just read a study or a comment uh, not too long ago, a week or two ago, that said there are over 300 associated symptoms with fibromyalgia. So, so how do you, how do you, it, it sounds like it's difficult to, to diagnose fibromyalgia yeah. or chronic pain. So can you yeah. talk about that? I mean, especially if there's 300 studies that you're mentioning. Well, you know, what I can go, I can tell people that um, for me, my passion for patients that suffer came not only from working with patients who are suffering, um, whether that was end of life, and not everybody suffers at their end of their life, but there are a subset of patients that take advantage of comfort medications and for pain control as they're um, ending their life, um, right up until their death. And then I also worked in the ICU, where I think there's um, clearly a lot of pain and a lot of concern about COVID patients who have been intubated for a long period of time and what their experiences with pain are going to be. And then I worked in oncology. So I was able to sort of see the whole gamut. And then with kind of rare diseases in home care and primarily in children. So um, I come from a background that I have great empathy for patients just in general because I think that we don't do suffering very well in the United States. And then I also have a personal interest because I have suffered from chronic pain. I was diagnosed 20 years ago, but I can trace probably my first experience with fibromyalgia uh, when I was 19 and in nursing school. And, uh, and I read in that same study, many fibromyalgia sufferers can say their first experience with pain was in their teens or early 20s. They can trace it back that far. And, and why does it come? Well, first off, you, you and I have had these topics, topics discussion for quite some time, and you've never publicly stated that you have fibromyalgia. No, I never have. So, so uh, I applaud you. I, for our listeners, I've been asking Beth to share this uh, information, um, I think, to the public because it is an invisible illness, and I hate to say illness, but it's invisible illness that a lot of people will look at you like, oh, come on, pick up your step, you know, Beth. I was like that. <laughs> what the heck's wrong with you? Hurry up. You know, we're walking from conference, conference uh, uh, speaker to the next, and we're like, come on, Beth, you know, and then I, I learned um, what you go through on a daily basis, and this is something 
so I applaud you for, for, for one, uh, trusting in me, which you have for years, but also trusting, um, you know, uh, United Patient Group and the podcast to share your, your personal story. Because a lot of people in this industry that you've worked with don't know this, um, uh, what you go through. You speak about it all the time, but they don't know that you're actually, I mean, I've had you on the show numerous times and we always use <laughs> best as a third person, you know? Uh, and so thank, thank, thanks for sharing it. Sharing, and I think, it, I truly believe this will help others uh, that are going through this um, that you can function because there's days I've, I've spoken to you and you're just in excruciating pain or you yes. say, you know what? I woke up today at three thirty, three three thirty in the morning to be yes. out of bed by six, yeah. you know, and I can't imagine that type of pain uh, uh, going through your body. Can you explain exactly what a fibromyalgia patient, or I should say most fibromyalgia patients go through on what that, because we've had this talk um, with Chris, um, uh, recently and you know and he didn't know what what fibromyalgia was right. so can you can you share with our our listeners who may or may not know what fibromyalgia is so fibromyalgia is a uh, chronic pain disorder of unknown cause they don't really know they there's i've read numerous studies about all sorts of different things they think that the part of the brain that receives pain is hyperperfused with blood vessels and nerve and neurons and that the part of the brain that mitigates or offsets the painful receptors is underperfused. So I've heard that study. That was a, I think it was a Dutch study. Then I've heard that there are people that think the Epstein-Barr virus or some other virus hides in the marrow and then it leaches out into the body. Some people think it's uh, toxins or mercury um, that have either resided in your teeth or in vaccines. So they really don't know exactly what causes fibromyalgia. Uh, I think just recently they came out with a blood marker and as soon as that happened, it kind of elevated it. So, so it, into the disease category, but for many years, of course, it was just uh, considered a complaint. And because most of the people that complain that suffer from it are women, but anyone at any age, any gender can suffer from fibromyalgia. It is not exclusively any person's disease. It's not typically a middle-aged woman's disease. Um, it may be diagnosed at that time because people have time to finally think about how they're feeling and why are they feeling so lousy. Yeah. But it's not anything predictable. And so for me, um, 20 years ago, I was raising my children and I had a nine month period of time where I had overwhelming fatigue. I mean, anyone that has chronic fatigue knows what I mean by that. It's almost, it's uh, paralyzing. It's paralyzing, literally paralyzing. And I had um, some neuralgias. I had some like numbness on the side of my face felt like there was a breeze in the car in the back, my back, there was no window open or anything. I had some numbness under, and then I had diffuse body aches. And it just went on, and I had other strange things too, like some visual changes, some wavy vision. And so um, I made an appointment with my physician, and it was so far out that I just figured if I improved, I would just cancel it. Because yeah, as a nurse, I just don't really like going to the doctors so much. But anyway, it didn't, it didn't. So I wrote all my symptoms down. I gave it to my physician and I have to hand it to him because he was pretty spot on. And when I told him everything I had, 
he did my exam and he said, I think you have fibromyalgia, which I already kind of thought I did. But then you have to rule out other mimickers. So things like um, MS, rheumatoid arthritis, um, Lyme, lupus, ALS, all those um, diseases, Sjogren's, there are other diseases that have to be ruled out. And sometimes those other diseases actually do go hand in hand. So the typical do a blood panel, they typically do a blood panel with an RA factor or they'll do uh, an acet rate and they'll do, um, I had a head and neck CAT scan, uh, MRI, and uh, just other various tests and they all came back negative. So it's actually a disease of um, exclusion. So they exclude all these other things and then fibromyalgia rules yeah. in. Yeah, and a lot of doctors don't really like that type of um, scenario where they don't get it. crossing off everything and see, seeing what's left. That's right. Yeah. But rheumatologists see that all the time. So my physician then, it was confirmed by a rheumatologist, and then I went to see a, a world-renowned, we, we were fortunate in Boston to have a specialist. And uh, he confirmed it by doing uh, pressure points. So people hear of the 18 pressure points, and if you have 11, they rule in. And, and what he just basically started by doing with me was he just worked from my feet up, and he just put his thumb, you know, just kind of like this, and he just like this, and he just, uh, wherever he was testing the, the, the trigger points, and he just said, I just want to know, pressure, pain. And everyone, pain, pain, pain. Pain. So by the time he got to my hips, he's like, you're in. And he finished. He was done. And so then he went on to explain that fibromyalgia is created, the pain is created because the body does not get into REM sleep. And when you're uh, in REM sleep, all your muscles relax. They go into heavy, you know, very deep relaxation. The lactic acid that has built up from the exercise and all the activities you've been doing, which is an irritant is, and everybody knows what lactic acid is, if they run, they, they get the burn, they get the aches the next day, everybody knows what lactic acid is. It's excreted into your um, bloodstream at night and then it's excreted in your urine. And so what happens is it does that because the, the muscles relax, deeply relax. But in fibromyalgia, if you can imagine that you were in constant pain, your muscles are always in retraction. So they never really relax. So you always have that irritant that you're dealing with, which is the lactic acid. And then other things, I think, contribute to it. And so um, I went, it's typically kind of an on-again, off-again thing. So you have exacerbations and then you have uh, remissions. And then at some point, and I think stress is enormously impactful. I was going to ask you if, if stress was a major... Uh, uh... Major, major and if you think about it, a lot of women, if we're going to talk about women having fibromyalgia, men too, but those years when you're in your 30s, 40s, early 50s, you're really working. Like if you work, you're also, and you have children, you're also working and you have children, they're going to college. And those are very, um, those are very busy, busy years and very stressful. And so I had a very high stress job. And I think that um, I kept saying to myself, on a daily basis, I had pain, and I kept saying to myself, when I leave this job, then I'll feel better. But what I didn't really realize that all during that time, too, I was also getting older, and I just was going on a ladder up on, a, like, say the top rung was extreme pain, and I just thought I would step down off that ladder once the stress lifted, but no. 
as you get older, once you get to a certain, it's hard to reverse it, especially in something where they know so little about how to treat it. it it's tough. And so speaking about how to treat it, how did you treat it? I mean, well, I took all of those except for so I wouldn't do Sabella because I had such a bad um, experience with Cymbalta. Yeah. So I was allergic. So um, I pretty much gave everything a college try because I didn't feel that I could complain about an illness you couldn't see and not try to feel better when my doctors asked me to try yeah. various things. So initially I went on an antidepressant and we talked about antidepressants for pain before. And um, I went on um, Elevel, um, Amitriplane. And uh, that was used because um, it, was, it was given for patients in California early on in the AIDS crisis that were having a lot of um, depression because of the AIDS. And they found that their body aches seemed to uh, improve. So they seem to have a lifting of their pain, and they attribute it to an un unexpected side effect of the Elevel. So that was used first, and that was only, I could only really tolerate that for under a year, because it makes it made me very flat, and uh, people also typically gain weight on these things. And so I gained like a fast eight pounds, which for me is enormous, so to get that off was terrible. And Best, so, best for everybody is five foot two on a good day. That's right. Sorry, it's, I'm not, it's just I'm too short. But I was 5'11", perfect. But anyway, I'm not. So then I went to, um, then for a while I just really kind of muscled through because I was still having some periods of wellness. And, um, and so I was sort of able to tolerate it. And then I just got intolerable. So I tried um, Cymbalta next. And that just... Very, I had a very bad reaction to Cymbalta. Uh, you take it at night, and it just really amped me up. It was unacceptable. I tried it for two nights, and I told my doctor, forget it, throw it away, I'll never use it again. And Because the last thing you want after a day of a very busy day with a lot of stress, and then you have pain, and you're trying to get to bed to get some sleep, is to feel like you're wigging out on some drug that's supposed to help you. And that's what I, I felt like on Cymbalta. You know, and I, I think I think the stress too is that, you know, you don't look like anything, so it's invisible, you know, and so your friends and family aren't really supporting you saying, okay, she looks great, we're not gonna take it seriously. And so I know a lot of doctors, patients that we've worked with over the years have even had this conversation with a doctor and they're because the doctor really doesn't know much of fibromyalgia, doesn't take the patient seriously. He's like, you know what, I, I, you know, it, uh, you know we'll, we'll, it has to be something else. And like you said, they're going through the whole list of all these other, other ailments and crossing them off, crossing them off, crossing off. And with left, you're like, ooh, maybe it is fibromyalgia. That's and right. so that, that must be frustrating because um, we've had these talks about family and friends who go, come on, Beth, you look great. You know what, you, you, you don't look like, you know, pick yeah. up the yeah. walking. Well, and that's, that's kind of the good news, bad news. Yeah. On the one hand, you can hide it, so you never have to tell anybody about it, so you can be whatever you want to be, just that yep. person. But then on the other hand, when you really feel lousy, you don't really look like you feel really lousy. But believe me when I tell you, on a bad day, I don't know, I can't think of any really anything worse than uh, a bad day with fibromyalgia as far as how you feel. 
Um, and then I tried Lyrica because my doctor insisted that I, or really urged me to try Lyrica. And I had already heard things about Lyrica that were not positive, people gaining a lot of weight. I, newly diagnosed fibromyalgia patients going on Lyrica because they're just blown away by the fact that they're in chronic daily pain. Uh, they're new to the diagnosis, trying Lyrica, and next thing you know, they spin around, they're 40 pounds heavier. So I was very concerned about trying Lyrica, but what happened with me was immediately um, I was short of breath. And so I went with, to the with Yeah, with Lyrica. Yeah. And so that's not completely um, without uh, merit within just the fibromyalgia, I call it the cascade of symptoms. You can feel short of breath. I also, this big reveal, I also have a second chronic pain condition that's often goes hand in hand, but not, not all the time. And I have something called myofascial pain syndrome, too, mm -hmm. which can be actually more troublesome than my fibromyalgia, but it kind of comes and goes. And as I've had them both together now for quite a while, I can almost tell the difference between the two and how I feel. Yeah. So it's sort of like a different kind of um, experience of pain. But pain is pain, and pain is not a good thing. And so the Lyrica was uh, disastrous because I was short of breath. So it's like I said, sometimes if I'm really tight, I can be short of breath anyway because all those, all those ligaments and everything that hold your ribcage together, if they get tight, you're not really expanding. You know, so, it can, so you can have that feeling. So I went on Lyrica, I was short of breath. I went to the pharmacist. That only happens in like, I don't know, two out of a thousand people. So she thought it was highly unlikely. And I also told her I was having a feeling of impending doom. Like all of a sudden, if I was lucky enough to even close my eyes, I would wake up and feel like, <gasps> like really a weird feeling of impending doom. You know, in that, in that article, it showed that most of the patients that took those uh, pharmaceuticals, and I'm not saying pharmaceuticals are bad. Um, we'll get into op uh, the benefits of, of opioids uh, in, in a bit, but a lot of a lot of the patients, actually the majority of the patients that, that were taking those three uh, drugs were seeing more of the negative side effects than right. the, the positive. Uh, you know, Corinne and I did a, a beautiful article and hopefully in this podcast, I'll, I'll, I'll edit it or splice it in here, but we did an ad of a side-by-side -side comparison of fibromyalgia versus cannabis mm -hmm. and the benefits um, as well as the side effects. With, excuse me, with Lyrica. Um, with that. And so I'll, I'll, put, I'll put that in here. Um, can you talk about, well, can I, look, look, am I going a little fast forward on this? Could you want to, you, did I cut you off on that? Well, I just wanted to say that the Lyrica, so what happened was then I was getting these feelings of impending doom, which she said was part of the Lyrica. And she said, you get used to that. Like you want to spend your time getting used to yet another miserable symptom, right? And then I started having suicidal ideation, and uh, that was directly tied to the Lyrica, and because when I came off the Lyrica, then I started itching. So then the allergy was confirmed, I came off the Lyrica, and then, this, then those ideations just went away, almost instantly, as soon as I stopped taking it. So I can understand that for people that are walking a tight line, when you start uh, having those suicidal ideations, they can be pretty appealing if your life is pretty miserable. And you can go down a pretty rocky road. 
I would encourage anybody that's having any of those side effects, let your doctor know you need to come off that medication ASAP. You really do. Yeah, have that's what your doctor's there for. You know, that's what your pharmacist is there for. You know, have these discussions and don't don't be embarrassed that you are having yeah. these thoughts, you know. That's right. Um, you know, because a lot of these ads that are on there, they play this beautiful music. So you, as you're reading, you're like, oh, I'm not taking it in, you know, yeah. uh, of, of, what, of what the side effects are. You know, yeah. cut the music they, out. You're, yeah, you're reading. yeah. And so um, can you talk about, um, I guess, the ramifications of, of, of treatment, including opioids, when you're, when you're dealing with, with uh, 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 pain, not only of pain of fibromyalgia, but just pain in general? Well, so, okay, so if you just look at what we're talking about right now, the top three drugs when compared to cannabis are uh, not as effective as cannabis, right? That's what the whole article is about. Cannabis remains federally illegal. So if you're just, if you're in one of the 33 states or Washington or D.C. where you're lucky enough to be able to get cannabis, then you can start experimenting with cannabis. But otherwise, it goes back to the conversation we've had so many times about, do you become a cannabis refugee? But now you're not moving your family for a child. You're talking about moving a group of people that might be adults or yourself to some place where you can get cannabis to try it to see if it works for you. And then what are you going to do if it does? It's going to be, you're going to have to make decisions. We run it all the time. And just so everyone knows, Beth was not a not always Never. a cannabis proponent. I mean, no. if you want to share your background about your father and law yeah. enforcement and cannabis yeah. was was not your lifestyle. Yes. So all my my family were uh, with the Griffins, and my father had two brothers and a sister, and all three boys were your typical Irish cops, and they were all police. My father was state police. My uncle and my other uncle was town police, and then. All my, many of my cousins were all in the police, my brother, my brother-in-law, and I had a cousin who um, died in the line of duty in the DEA. Hmm. So we're a police family, a law enforcement family, and when I was in high school, my father just said that I should, he would prefer that, well, number one, it was unlawful, so he didn't like us doing anything unlawful, and, but they had a really cool way of talking to us. They just talked to us like we were adults. And they said that um, my father basically said, "You don't, you're, you don't know uh, what's in the cannabis or in your marijuana because it hasn't been tested. So you don't know who back in those. This is going back quite a while now. He was smart enough to say, "We just don't know. You just don't know what's in that tobacco, so Plant. to speak. Yeah, that, yeah, that's being rolled into that joint." And so when he said that, I thought, "Well, he's right." So I'm not, I won't smoke it. I didn't care. I didn't bother. And so the drinking age was 18 anyway when I, when I was young. So, you know, it was all right. I didn't need it. But so I never used cannabis. And, uh, but I was not against the use of cannabis. In fact, I'm not against the use of anything a physician feels will quell suffering in a patient. Nothing. Anything that they want. And so, um, and I came to that conclusion uh, when I worked oncology, and I we could give, I had to have a hospital attorney come up because we increased morphine on a young patient who was dying so high that 
they wanted counsel to make sure that everything was okay with that. This was really kind of before hospice, and uh, he still wasn't comfortable. And so I saw a lot of people just never being able to get comfortable, and it was extremely frustrating as a nurse um, to not be able to get your patient. The most basic thing, you're in a hospital, you cannot get your patient comfortable. I mean, that was... It's distressing for for nurses and for physicians too, and so um, so that's how I came about. We would use cannabis at night. We'd allow you know evening would come and the joints would come in or the brownies would come in for our oncology patients who were getting chemotherapy and they worked. So we just pull the curtain and close the door and that'd be that. And so I never had a problem with somebody using cannabis. And then when the law came out and it came up to the ballot. Um, I voted for it uh, because I was, uh, you know, I was um, advocating for some other initiatives that were on the ballot. And so I thought the medicinal, the humanitarian use of medical marijuana, I mean, I could not say no to that. So I was all for it. And then I learned the truth about cannabis because I went to a patient out of time clinical conference and I could not, I, I still will say my entire career, that was the most jaw-dropping conference I've ever been to when I heard the truth about the endocannabinoid system. And I thought, holy cow, we've all been lied to. We've you know, all been lied to for years. They've known this for a long time now. And uh, it was distressing to me. I was it, mad. I was it, mad. It, was, it was funny you say this because earlier today I um, had uh, Brian Center on the, on, uh, who's a pharmacist, Yes. Uh, who, who you introduced me to yes. on the show and he and I met at a patient's at a time conference in in New Jersey and yes. he had the exact same reaction he said I showed up and he said oh my god mouth drop what how, where have I been where is all this information from I forgot that happened with you because I even mentioned Don uh, being you know going to her first event in Arizona and that's where Chris and I went to in 2001 2011 and just seeing all these doctors from around the world sharing their knowledge of the cannabis plant and the benefits it, it, it has on many ailments, many diseases. And I share with everybody too, I, this is not the golden pill, the golden plant, the golden ticket, but it really is, it, it really does have a, a million and one uses uh, like, like duct tape, which I've spoken about on the show numerous times. Um, but but I, me- I remember that that you were blown away the first time you went because oh, they didn't, no they didn't teach you yeah. that in 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 uh, nursing school no. uh, or no. even in hospice. No, no, I was I was really angry, and then I was angry at our government, and yeah. then the more I got I got political because uh, I was invited to participate as the clinical director for the Mass Patient Advocacy Alliance, and they are a. Um, advocacy group that lobbies for the safe use um, of cannabis for medical patients. And they've been, they've worked very hard to keep our uh, programs separate, uh, the the adult use and the uh, medical patients, and to keep special uh, perks, so to speak, for patients that rely on it for medicine. And so, and I've heard a lot of stories about cannabis, and it's the only thing that will help some patients. And so I, I became all for cannabis. In fact, I am a proponent of everybody taking 2.5 to 5 milligrams of a one-to-one every day just for health maintenance, just like 
vitamin D or B12 or vitamin C or zinc, any of those other things that you consider almost daily staples, I think cannabis should be part of that. Um, but it won't be part of that until it's federally legal. So anyway, to talk about it being uh, relevant in the treatment of fibromyalgia, we have to realize that not everybody is fortunate enough to live in a state. And I find too with cannabis and all the conversations that we've had and all your, you know, all of the, the education that you've provided, John, and your guests, it's not a one-size-fits-all. And just by the time you really think you have yourself on a good uh, program of cannabis, you can change. So say you're feeling better, say you have fibromyalgia, you're feeling better and you lose a little weight. Well, then now your cannabis needs might change. So it's an ongoing journey as you journey through life. It's almost like your cannabis journey follows your journey. And, um, and that's probably the way it should be. You know, yeah. I think that's the way it was designed to be. And so uh, when I found out that the endocannabinoid system from Dr. Stein, uh, who you had as a guest, who you interviewed before, and uh, Dr. Janice Knox, that it's the largest modulating system, it's the largest system in the body, and that the skin has its own endocannabinoid system, you start thinking, like, what are people learning in um, school, especially in the health sciences? It, it's pretty amazing when you really d dive deep into this. Uh, it, like you said, it blew, blew your mind. Uh, and, yeah. you know, a lot of, there's some great doctors in our industry, and I've been very fortunate uh, you know, to meet a lot of them uh, yep. as colleagues. They've spoken at our conferences. I've had them on the show and still continue to do a lot of work with them and refer patients to them because yep. I mean, we get calls every day. Does it help with this? Do you know somebody? And so that's people come, you know, that's the whole reason we designed United Patients Group is as that um, helping, helping hand, you know, yeah. help, help patients or families avoid the tangled web in this industry, what to look out for, where what question to ask, you know, don't be afraid to talk to your doctor about, about, um, you know, your ailment and what you would like to try. And I would like to try cannabis. You know, again, cannabis is not for everybody. You know, no. when Corinna was battling cancer, that's one thing she said to me, she's like, and she was someone who never used cannabis recreational. She would just do it. Um, I seen recreational, you know, she would do it at, at night for sleep. Yep. And she thought, Oh, you know, I'll just, I'll use THCA. For inflammation, I have, you know, and she would have a, you know, there would be like, there's some great, almost like compound pharmacists. They're not pharmacists, but compound pharmacists being able to make different formulations, adding terpenes in there. And so she had had that plus cancer was, was in her family. So she thought, boy, I'm a sitting duck if I don't do something. And, you know, I'm, I remember being in an interview and doing, doing one of our, our uh, live Q and A's. And someone asked, can you take cannabis for, for health and wellness, for prevent, prevention? I said, Corinne, this is a perfect exam, a question for you. And she said, actually, yes. Yeah. She goes, you know, uh, I'm doing this because it's in my family. And, and, you know, I'm a sitting duck if I don't do something here. You know, 10 days later is when she was diagnosed with, with cancer. And we didn't even know that. You know, she just knew she had a back pain, stomach ache, and she just thought ulcer or something like that. Um, and it was, uh, for our guest, it was, uh, Karen Malanka is, uh, and, uh, my wife, uh, who, uh, passed away from pancreatic cancer. And, you know, but one thing was she said, Beth is, you know, she was so disappointed that it did not help her pain, subside her pain. What helped her pain was 
putting her in her bathtub, the negative buoyancy, or um, putting her in the hot tub. Um, and so she spent a lot of time in the wa in water just to, to relieve that. You know, and so, you know, so I don't want to give anybody false hope that, oh, I found something, let me take it. Um, you know, because, but I do want to give people hope. And again, what Beth was talking about being a cannabis refugee, moving, if you don't, if you unfortunately live in an illegal state right now, um, your options are to buy it illegally. Um, like uh, Beth's father said, you don't know what's in it. Just because you know the grower, the friend of the friend of the friend, doesn't mean that they're doing everything, you know, by the book. When you live in legal states, um, nowadays it, there are regulations for testing. They test for mold, pesticides, toxins, fecal matter, what's in it, uh, ratios, the, the cannabinoid profiles. And so it's, it's important to do that. But if you're going to become a cannabis refugee, my advice, and I think Beth would, would mirror me on this, is first off, see if this plant works. You know, make, take, take a long extended stay, go two days, two weeks, a month, if you're able to do it and go to a legal state and see if it works, then make that decision. I mean, we worked with a lot of patients who made that decision for their children. Um, but when you do uproot your life as a cannabis refugee, you're leaving your friends, your family, your jobs, your church, yeah. but your doctors, the doctors have been, that's been treating you for five, 10, 20 years, now you're leaving all of this, all your support system in the medical side and going to another state. And uh, uh, so, you know, so before you move is what I'm getting at, see if, see if this works and you're able to incorporate um, uh, that with any, any other uh, doctors that, that are maybe in that state as well. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of always making sure a medical professional is involved because as you said, Beth, it's not a one size fits all. What works for me, may not work for you. Right. Uh, you know, or another female going through fibromyalgia, you might have success at two milligrams or another person can have success at 25 milligrams. Talking about milligrams and pharmaceuticals, can you talk about um, the benefits of, of combining? Um, Dr. Sulak has spoken about this numerous times about having a pharmaceutical. And the goal is if you're going to titrate off something, make sure a medical professional is involved. But well, what, what you're able to do is instead of taking, I'll say 25 milligrams of this pill every day, every day, every day, and include cannabis, you may be able to drop your pharmaceutical pill, again, with the help of a doctor, you know, five milligrams or 10 milligrams and use cannabis. And when you use cannabis, you're getting the same uh, uh, effects as if you were using the higher dose of the pharmaceutical. So it's almost uh, the, the sweet spot. So can you talk about that? Because I know you've, I'm going to say you've mastered that. Well, I've mastered it in that there's, it's such a complex life when you have something that's chronic like this. And I just want to tell everybody that um, experiences chronic pain, um, there are a lot of people out there that actually really do care about your suffering. Although right now, the United States is not a friendly, the world is not a friendly place to be if you're a pain patient. Um, and there are things that are happening at the federal level that, and, and in individual state levels that um, we're kind of going backwards in our treatment of pain and uh, in there are people that actually believe that pain doesn't exist. And of course we know that pain exists 
pain was built in as a protectant mechanism for humans and animals so that you don't leave your hand on a burning stove. You know, we, we've all seen these very rare diseases where children don't feel pain. And it's very scary because they don't know when they broke their bones. They don't know if they've had a head injury. They don't know if they're sick. They just feel good all the time. Uh, they don't feel pain. And that's very dangerous. So we know that pain exists. It's the treatment of pain that causes a lot of angst right now. And I think that's because um, there are forces at play where there's money to be made. We are a, we are a country that's in pain. And um, so there are multiple modalities in how to treat pain, but they're, they're kind of narrowing it down. And behind all of this is the influx of money, insurances, pharmaceuticalization of um, medications. And I think there are a subset of patients that have pain that want to return maybe to plant-based um, treatment. But what I'll tell you is that cannabis has really never created a pain-free existence for me. What I find, can I, have a I have a very specific regime that I take my cannabis, and that doesn't mean that I can't take additional cannabis if I want to experience some that's a little higher um, in THC and maybe get a little um, feeling of wellness or euphoria. I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying for myself, I have a pretty specific routine that I've developed and I've a lot of experimentation over a number of years. And I'm kind of, that's what I do. But what I tell people is I don't think if I have pain that I should go and smoke a joint because if I get high, I'll just be high and then I'll still have pain. I won't care as much about it, the pain, but I'll still experience it. Much like Corinne, you know, I don't think there's an isolate that really addresses like pretty severe, intense, long lasting pain. So what I think I get is I get a lifting, a overall lifting of my symptoms so that they don't seem as significant to me as if I don't take them. But I also, and I actually checked this with Raphael Mishulam, I emailed him, Dr. Mishulam. I do find though, if I come off my regime for any reason, say I was to go on vacation and I didn't have my cannabis with me, within about four, four days, my pain will be ratcheted up. And I just... I just call it electric. You know, I just become electric. Everything is causes pain. It's, it's a it's an experience unlike any other. It's hard to describe. Well, then that originally happened with you. You didn't you take a family trip and you didn't bring your medicine with you, and then you realized, like, oh my gosh. Yes, yes. When I got home, I was in. That was the first time it happened to me. I didn't bring any with me, and after about four days, oh my goodness, my pain just was like amplified up. And that's what prompted my email to Dr. Mishulam. And I asked him if he saw a rebound in patients that come off cannabis, which actually makes sense, and uh, for certain symptoms. And he said, yes, this is what we are starting to see in patients. We need more data to understand it. Yeah. And so that was very interesting that he actually confirmed what I see. And that's very consistent. Like, I can, I can see it's happened more than once. If I come off this regime that I take, that I tell you, doesn't really seem to like, 
attack my pain, but you know that it does something because four days without it and I'll be, it will ratchet up and it will be, everything will be like on fire, you know, electric pain. Can you share how and why uh, cannabis works on the pain receptors? I mean, it's been an analgesic. It's been one of the, you know, that has been one of the, I guess, number one qualified conditions uh, uh, that people call us about. Uh, yeah. No, and it's fortunate. All states, you mentioned 33 states uh, in, in the District of uh, Columbia, you know, have legalized medical cannabis in some form. Right. Um, but not in all of those states, pain is not a qualified condition. Right. Know, speaking, speaking with Brian today, you know, pain was just added, just added to Connecticut's qualified condition. You know, they started off in 2012 with 11 qualified conditions. I think now they're, they're 35 or 36. And he said, just in the last few months, just in the last few months, pain was added to that. And right. that, is, that, is, that has happened in other states where pain is accepted as a qualified condition, but cancer is not. I mean, it just, just blows my mind. And so a lot of the doctors are saying, okay, Bill, um, I know your dad's Bill and your grandson's Bill, so I'll change names. Okay, so, um, uh, well, I'm superstitious. I don't want to, I don't want to put anybody I know to her, you know, with, with, with that. But anyway, but it's so, Hey patient, you have cancer. Um, but it's not approved condition here, you know, so I cannot recommend uh, uh, cannabis to you, but you have pain, right? Yes. Great. Wink, right. wink. I'm going to, I'm going to prescribe or recommend, I should say, um, uh, in, in, in uh, uh, Connecticut, they call it certifying, you know, so it's here, it's recommending there it's certified. And, and, you know, Brian told me today that cannabis in the state of Connecticut is a schedule two uh, classification. I didn't really? know. I mean, I, I learned a lot today uh, on that on that call, and so yeah. Anybody listening? It's that? crazy, and how different the states are. Yeah, and that's the thing. Each state has their own r rules and regulations, okay. and so anybody that's, that's listening to this, go to your Department of Health um, uh, website. You know, Department of Health. You know, California Department of Health, Alabama Department of Health. Colorado Department of Health, Massachusetts, and you will see there's a medical cannabis division and all the Department of Health out there, and you can find out what the laws are, what the rules are, what the qualified conditions are, um, and ask questions. If you're not in a legal state, um, you know, uh, don't be afraid to, to write to your congressman, your senator, uh, and try to get this plant approved for you. I mean, it, it yeah. you know, chronic pain, cancer, all these diseases might not affect you personally, but I guarantee it's going it, to, it's somebody in your circle. If it's That's a family right. member, a loved one, a, a work colleague, you know, yeah. so, it, you know, it's, it's, it's sad that this is how life is. You know, why can't we just be born and have a full life? No, I mean, I, it, that, that's the thing. That's the one part I'm struggling on right now after losing Corinne. I don't understand someone who took care of her health, you know? Uh, so this is real life for me, um, of continuing on and, and, and helping being a health advocate and a patient advocate of, of, of what's going on and doing shows like this. And I think Beth, that's why you trusted me to come on and share 
you know, your invisible illness with, with, with me and, and all of our listeners too. And so I thank you for that too. Um, can you share, I know you're doing a lot in the pain world. Um, can you share what it's like to be a, a pain patient, a fibromyalgia patient and not having access, uh, full access sometimes when you really need it? Because sometimes you go in there and they said, Oh, sorry, uh, Ms. Dossie, you've already had this, this prescription, uh, 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 filled 28 days ago, you know, you need to wait two more days. It's like, how do you know what I felt like in the middle of all the, of, of my last 28 days? I could have been on a level one to 10. I could have been a 15 in pain and I needed to take. So now you come in there looking like a criminal, looking like an addict, looking like you're abusing this. It's like, I'm in pain, please help. And you know, that, that happened with Corinne and I, when she, we came back from her doctor and they wouldn't fill it because they gave her a small amount and it was, and then we came back, it was from Stanford Oncology and they said, no, we're going to up, up your amount. And we went back to our local CVS and they said, no, no, your insurance won't cover this because, and we can't fill it because you've already were, I said, look at the difference. This is where, you know, my wife has pancreatic cancer. She's in pain. And so it's frustrating. That's what, what Brian was talking about being a pharmacist. He goes, we deal with the doctors getting mad at us. The patients getting mad at us. We're getting mad at the, at the, at the uh, insurance companies. We're getting mad at our headquarters. And he goes, and that, it was just after, you know, 17 years of working, um, you know, in a big box organization. I mean, he worked for Walgreens and he goes, it happens in all, all of them. You know, he goes, that's where I had to sit back and say, okay, is this really, am I better served am I better being serving, being able to serve patients otherwise? And so, um, you know, that's what he's doing out there. So can you talk about a day in the life of a pain patient of, because you have been denied before. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've been through the gamut. I mean, so probably about 12 years ago, I probably, I had a weekend was in my pain was unmanageable. When I mean unmanageable, I was jumping up and down in my driveway uh, crying because I was in so much pain. And um, I ended up taking an opiate. And I can only take a few. I have a lot of allergies, which is also kind of a hallmark of fibromyalgia. And, of course, at that point, I hadn't been diagnosed with my additional uh, pain condition, which is myofascial pain syndrome, which causes tremendous ringing in my ears, like constant tinnitus, constant. Uh, they're screaming right now. And so I was really suffering. And so we had gone through everything. And so um, I started taking an opiate, and it was amazing. When you're in a lot of pain and you take the right dose of an opiate, there's not really anything quite like it in mitigating or decreasing pain because it acts right on the pain set receptors. It doesn't act on the CB1 or CB2 cannabinoid receptors. It acts on the pain centers and the pain, the pain receptors. And, um, and of course, opiates originally were derived from natural from plants, right? So we have kratom, we have the poppy. You know, we have cannabis. I mean, God gave us uh, quite a bit of um, uh, quite a bit of plants that help us in, in our health. And there are many other ones um, that that uh, herbalists far smarter than I in that world know about. And so, um, 
when I have a really bad day, if I take the right dose and I take my cannabis and I'm still in, I'm miserable, I take the right dose of an opiate. Um, it's almost like once it starts taking effect, it feels like someone's like erasing, like with an eraser, your pain. Wow. It's, I can't describe it. It's, it can be pretty profound. I can remember once I was looking at my stairs and I was thinking, you really need to vacuum those stairs. They were looking, they were looking pretty ratty. And, uh, but I was in so much pain. I, I just didn't feel like doing it. So I took some medication, some of my medication, and within an hour, I felt good. I got up and I vacuumed my, and I just remember it being really a profound thought that all I did was I just took two pills, and within an hour, I could vacuum those stairs, and an hour and a half ago, that seemed impossible. And so what's happening now, really briefly, is that because of the addiction crisis, and addiction is drug-seeking without need, without a physiological need. So you don't have a pain condition, you don't have cancer, you don't have fibromyalgia, you don't have ankylosis, but also there are many, many painful conditions. And so you don't have that, and you just drug seek. And you've either gone, gotten there because you started maybe with alcohol and you progressed upwards, or what the government says is that a lot of people started by a prescription drug, and that's just not true. That is just like um, an urban legend. That is not true. Only about 17 out of 100 people started their interest in narcotics or opiates with a prescription of opiates, and they exceeded the use, the need use. A person that does not have an addictive personality will self-regulate. So they'll forget to take a dose, even if it's prescribed, if they're feeling good, yeah. which which can be problematic because then their pain can ratchet up if that's what they're taking it for, which is what they're usually taking it for, is for pain, right? And so um, that's kind of like my little pain story. But to um, live a life of being in chronic pain, it's challenging. It's challenging. I mean, I've seen firsthand with you on, on, you know, you're traveling. I mean, we, when we filmed uh, our, our recent show out here, you had to come in town a couple of days ahead of time just to get your body acclimated after being yeah. in an airplane, yeah. you know, for five, six hours or something yes. like that. And then yes. situated and getting your body. Okay. And then even yes. every morning, you know, to be uh, at the location to, to, to film, you know, it, it was, you know, we all got out of bed at, hour earlier you had been out for up for three four hours going okay you know I, i'm gonna be there on time you talk about taking your pill and you know that it's gonna that it's gonna uh you'll feel something or you'll feel better you know the erasing part on a good day um cannabis and onset sometimes did, did you ever have your experience you know ingesting you know via vaporization or smoking and having that instant onset and then, and then having it catch up or having the opioid catch up an hour and a half later? So what I, what I typically do is um, at, I take the majority of my cannabis at night. Mm -hmm. So I'll take, um, I'll like, usually Like, like be, before bed or? or right. So what I'll typically do is I'll take cannabis in the morning when I wake up and I can repeat that. 
and I take a three to one with THCA. So three parts CBD, it's very important to know this, three parts CBD to one part THC with THCA in a capsule. And it looks just like a vitamin E capsule. And then I can repeat that because I have no psychoactive effects with that three to one preparation. And that's really something to be taken long term. And I have been taking it for quite a while now. I mean, quite a while. And um, I do well with that. And then at night, and what I recommend to a lot of my patients is, I take an edible that's THC and strain or no strain, it has to be indica leaning because if it's sativa leaning, uh, will, it will make me wakeful. And CBD will make me wakeful in lower doses during the day. Like I'm talking 40 to milligrams, 80 milligrams, that will wake me up. So I can't take that just like coffee. Like I can't take it after three. So if I miss that window and I want to take CBD, sometimes CBD will just do the trick for me. CBD and um, sometimes aspirin will do the trick for me too. A couple of aspirin, but I can't do that all the time because you know, yeah. careful with aspirin. I have to take a buffer. But anyway, and then I'll, so an hour before I want to kind of close my eyes, I'll take my edible, and then 15 minutes before I want to really go to sleep, I will smoke a high THC indica leaning hybrid. And uh, I take four puffs, and that's it for me. You know, all this in preparation of your next day, and that, and that, I mean, that that's that's tough, you know, for you to... to my, well, well, first of all, it's to end the, the day I'm in, uh -huh. and then it is to prep me for the next day. That's right. Exactly right. You know, and Dr. Behrman has, has mentioned this um, quite a bit, that he recommends, you know, having something by your bedside table. If you can go to the bathroom, do that so you go back to sleep, and so it allows you to, What's that? I keep two. I keep about five milligrams of my chocolate, two pieces, right next to my bed. And if I wake up, depending on when I took it, if it's been three hours, I'll take another... Yeah. I'll just lay in bed and pop it in my mouth and chew it, just go to sleep and chew it down, you know? Your, your, your husband must just shake his head with you. It's like, okay, no. it's time to go to bed. Well, he doesn't even know it. You know, I keep it so on the down low. Yeah. It took, well, how long it, it took me. I've been in the industry now since 2013, so this is how long it's taken me to have this conversation, so. To, 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 to come out of the closet. Well, well welcome. Glad you <laughs> glad you broke the ice I here. I do. I do. You can tell you tell your husband. Well, the phone starts ringing. This is why. What'd you do up there? So, um, exactly. you know, and I know your 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 kids support you, and so everybody. She Beth is uh, not only a, a wife, um, but a mom of of uh, two boys and a girl, and a grandmother one time, which is about to be two times. Uh, here in the next few oh, weeks. Boys. So, a lot of boys. A lot of boys. Yeah. You know, in the midst of COVID, everyone's locked in, and so we're we're in the midst of COVID right now. And she, she, her her getaway is. Uh, That's is why I, this is what's behind me is because I have no place to go in my house. They've taken they take they've taken over here too. Yes, um, they were living in their own apartment and uh, decided this was a better deal. Hey, who who doesn't want to go back? You know, right, mom, right. Mom, take, mom take care of take care of you. Let's talk about, um, you know, federal laws, not only with cannabis, but with the opioid crisis that you're talking about, you know, being denied. Um, I know you and Claudia Mirandi are, are uh, Mirandi, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, sorry. Sorry, Claudia, if you're, I knew that. Um, you know, I recently uh, had you both on the show of what yes. you're doing, not only for fibromyalgia patients, but for pain patients um, uh, nationwide, not yes. just, not just uh, in, in your, your part of the world. Uh, yes. Can you talk about what, what you see the federal government, how they're, you know, uh, hurting or helping uh, pain patients? They're hurting pain patients. They're doing nothing to help pain patients. I think that um, it was very interesting. I was watching, and I don't typically, but I just happened to be sitting there and the Today Show came on. And it was interesting because they said they had a marijuana, uh, somebody that was going to talk about marijuana and the impact it has on the uh, drug market, the illegal drug market. And I thought, oh, here we go again with the entry to illegal yeah. drugs. Yeah. I couldn't have been more wrong. What hmm. he was basically saying was that um, with the incarceration of, I believe it's El Chapo, who was a, a drug lord down in South America, um, he was sort of a stabilizing force in that unstable world. With his incarceration, and the decrease of the, um, actually I've never said this on one of your programs, but this is what they reported on the day show, um, and the decrease in the, um, in the uh, supply need for cannabis, they were moving into other drugs. Huh. Because, you know, the call for marijuana or cannabis was de totally decreased by so many states going legal now, we're growing it here ourselves. They had a destabilizing force with one of their leaders. And then you had more aggressive uh, people that were in, this, in the business of moving illicit drugs, and they had moved into harder drugs. And I think that's part of what we've seen. Fentanyl, uh, synthetic fentanyl that's being produced, the heroin that's being produced, it's very cheap and it's on our streets. And that's the big problem. But what was easy was just to target the doctors that, and I'm not saying if there's a bad doctor, he needs to be called out. But what is a bad doctor and how do you really define what is a bad doctor? If it's a quote unquote pill mill, well, show me the pill mill, you know, show the DEA the pill mill. But what people don't realize is that the DEA determines the number of um, opiates that they're going to allow into our system in the United States. And so what happened with COVID, which is a perfect example, is because of the illegal, so somehow the illegal drug business that caused so many deaths and destruction and overdose, and it was so tragic, um, and young people, somehow that morphed into an unintended consequence, which was patients that were maintained on opiates for long periods of time doing very well and having some semblance of a life because they don't experience drugs the same way somebody that is addicted to drugs experience it. When you have pain, the drugs tend to work on the pain and block the receptors. And so most, if not all, of patients I've talked to that use opiates never experience euphoria. They just experience that, if they're lucky, that sort of erasing of the pain Relief, that yeah. allows them to function. So somehow that got all mixed up, and they started going after doctors. They persecuted, arrested, imprisoned physicians, and the medical board 
has unqualified immunity, and we're, we're calling for a change to that. And so doctors don't really have a way unless they fight it, and then they're fighting us hundreds of thousands of dollars, when in fact, it used to be that there was just a relationship between the patient and the physician, and now you have law, lawmakers and legislators who have agendas that a lot of us don't know about what their agendas are, that are dictating what happens between the physician and the patient. And I find that it's very almost laughable that when we look to doctors who are some of the finest thought leaders in the world for answers for COVID and what are we going to do to control this virus, and yet the government will come and just cut them off at the knees because they recommend um, opiates for their patients who have intractable pain or chronic pain or short-term pain. So um, turn, it, make, it makes a doctor kind of like clam up and is afraid to... And then to, the doctors are terrified and, and with good reason. And then that, the, that happens. And, I mean, that's happening in the cannabis industry. It has happened in the cannabis industry where a lot of doctors like, I can't, I can't uh, recommend right. this, you know, because I'm afraid of that. Even in the international uh, in, 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 integrative oncology world, you know, you know, using other forms of, of, of treatment, um, you know, stem cells being one, you know, uh, different, different, uh, you know, ozone being another, you know, right. a lot of these doctors have been forced to leave, leave the U S move down to Mexico, go overseas where they're not going to be, um, I guess, uh, live in fear or spend, spend, I mean, I, I know a doctor down in, in Mexico, an American doctor, he's been down there for about 18, 19 years, but he said, John, I spent all my time in court defending myself, That's you know, crazy. coming to my clinic, they embarrassed me, in, you know, with all my patients. And not only did I win every case, but it cost me a lot of money to defend myself. And I said, you know what? Okay. I'll go treat my patients. And now Americans go down there. South Americans go down there. Asians yep. go down there. Europeans go see them, you know, uh, for, for different treatments. And I just think, you know, health. And I've talked about this to you. A friend of mine, he's a chiropractor his, in his office. He has a, a, a big science is pain is not a way of life. You know, I mean, isn't that well said? Pain is not a way of life because a lot of pain patients go, oh, it's just part of getting older. You know, I can't, you know, we were talking about, Brian and I were talking about today. You can't roll around with your grandkids. You can't do this. You can't uh, vacuum those those uh, steps you were talking about, you know, and, and look what look what happens. So, but, uh, and, and just for our listeners too, I know Beth and I know after this podcast from sitting down, She's going to be in pain. Can you talk about that? <laughs> John, I'm always in pain. I know. I'm in pain I mean, right now. Yeah. I, I get drag on my collarbones when I said, if, uh, you know, if I just reached over to get a pillow, so I could put, I mean, I, I mean, I'm just always in pain. It's just always my reality. And um, you're kind of like a pretender, you know, you don't want to tell people, like, I don't like, I, don't, I think people that are in pain, they either want to talk about it or they just flat out don't want to talk about it. And I don't like to talk about it because I don't want I know. people to think it's I think it's good for you because you've been holding on to this for a long time. I and mean, we've had talks, you know, with, with your cousin, Dr. Meg, you know, where you're like, I said, you have to have these conversations, you know, you get this off. Well, your, I'll do anything for patients. You know, if it helps yeah, one think, person, then it's worth it. But I think that's what this is for is to share because right. I know, you know, I know that a lot of our listeners are probably going through this and, 
going, God, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Let's share, right. let's share what's going on here. So, um, so you're not going to be in more pain. Uh, uh, I appreciate your time on coming on here and you've done so much for me, uh, so much for United Patients Group. You've done so much for the mission of, of education, not only in, in, in the pain world, but also in the, in the uh, pain and, and uh, uh, I guess, pharmaceutical prescription world, but also in the pain with the cannabis world. And I, I commend you on coming on the show and sharing your story, but um, you are a thought leader. You worked with your local government, your state government, and uh, uh, you're involved. And so I appreciate you not being invisible like fibromyalgia is invisible. Right. So I thank you. Um, do you have any closing words or closing thoughts you want to share with our listeners? Well, I think the one thing about fibromyalgia, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing. I mentioned to a um, gym owner, he was a gym owner, and I said to him, he had a lot of different programs for different balance. So, so he had like a balance program. He had a, you know, for um, elderly patients to come in and he had a pool. So he, all sorts of things going on. And I said to him, um, you should do something for fibromyalgia patients. And he responded to me by saying, now remember, of course, he doesn't know. So he responded to me by saying, oh, fibromyalgia patients, they are the most difficult patients to deal with. They're all so down and out. And And I'm thinking to myself, you don't even know, buddy, what, what you're saying, because he had no idea. And so that's why it's kind of nice to be incognito, too, because you kind of get the real deal when people think that, oh, wink, wink, they're really, I mean, I'm not, I'm kind of an, you can be upbeat, active, and have fibromyalgia. You, you which, which you are. Yeah, I think I which am. you are. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I'm on a scooter. Yeah, yeah, and, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's what I'm Here, trust me. You can't get hurt. <laughs> but I think that, um, you know, when you were talking about that, your struggle with understanding about Corinne, whom I knew, and was a, such a lovely person, and so, like you said, full of life, healthy looking, wonderful. And as a nurse, I've known so many people that have just touched me and had like the worst situations that they were facing and and uh and they've made a lasting impression on me and you try and wrap your brain around that and there are just some things you can't and i think having chronic pain is the type of thing that it's a very hard thing to articulate which maybe is part of the reason why i don't like to talk too much about it because um For a long time, I tried to find if there was any redemption in suffering. So I had my own internal struggle of kind of the why me or why pain or why um, such such disregard for the reality of how um, debilitating chronic pain can be. And how much I, you know, struggle uh, in, uh, you know, how you, how you struggle to um, just do the average daily thing sometimes. I mean, I can remember once I was just kind of in a flare and I picked up a 
glass of water and I think I handed it to my son and I said, does this feel just like so heavy to you? And he's like, ma, it's a glass of water. But the glass of water just felt like you weighed five pounds. I just, it just, I was tired. You know, there's that fatigue piece that goes along with it. So I guess my whole thing is that it gets you searching in a different way for what is the meaning of life when these things that fall to, upon you, these conditions of being human fall upon you and you didn't do anything really that you can think of to elicit it. And so for a long time, I was trying to find redemption in suffering, but I've decided that there's really not a lot of redemption in suffering after all of this. And so I guess the thing is that, you know, every day I just try and get up now and say, you know, to myself and to God, you know, thank you for this beautiful day and I'll make them, I'm going to try and make the most out of it. And I think that that's kind of, if people kind of, but it's hard, it's hard to feel that way when you're miserable. It, it's kind of a mind bend, you know, so you're always searching for meaning, um, we should that's, also search that, that's that's life. That's life. We should that's also life. search for meaning in a beautiful sunset, right? What? Or just search for meaning on a day you feel great and everything clicked. You yeah. know, we take that for granted. It's only when you're faced with adversity that you start looking inward and the whys come up and yeah. and that type of thing. And as you know, they're so hard to understand the whys. And so I would just encourage anybody that's going through it. There are a lot of people that care about you. There are a lot of people that really want you to feel better. And there are a lot of people that understand how you feel. And maybe they're not your family. And we could spend an hour on the effects it has on relationships because an invisible illness has unexpected yeah. um, uh, effects on relationships. And so, but I just would encourage everybody to know that there are people that are fighting and if you want to, you know, there are multiple Facebook groups that address pain. Yeah, I can ask you if there's any support groups. There's a lot of people maybe not have that. fibromyalgia. And uh, if you have a weird symptom, you can generally look it up and you'll find it. it. That's usually what it is. And the symptoms are, like I said, there's like 300 of them. So they're bizarre. They can be very bizarre. So that's, I guess that's my thoughts. I love on that it. Thing. I love it. Well, thank, thank you, Beth, and I appreciate you coming on and, and, and sharing, and, and Beth is a regular here uh, uh, with what we do here at United Patient Group, so you'll see her again, but uh, thank you, Beth. I appreciate well, you doing that, you. And, uh, and one step forward, you know, stay positive. That's right. That's that's right. So, um, everybody, thanks again for being with us. This is John Malanka with United Patients Group. Be informed and be well. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.